Hey, this is Angelica from the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, and I'm joined in the studio today with activist, speaker, and educator Erica Hart. We had the pleasure of witnessing a keynote lecture by Erica at this year's Feminist Thought and Activism Conference, and I'm excited to get to follow up with a few questions. So welcome, Erica. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so just to get us started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So thanks again for having me, Colorado State University. I'm excited to be here and to be speaking to your podcast and to all of you. I am a Black queer, non-binary femme, breast cancer survivor, and I am also a sexuality educator. I have been teaching sexuality education for the past 11 years with a focus in gender and racial and social justice. And I'm a Sagittarius because I think that that's also important to know. <laughs> I wish I really understood what that meant. I know that I'm a Pisces. I oh, like I'll to tell say you what that with means. Pride. <laughs> Please tell me. You are my dad and my brother and a lot of my friends are Pisces. Pisces hold their emotions on their sleeve or they hide them. Like I once dated a Pisces and we have been dating for like a week. And I say, you know, I want to know what's in here and I pointed to her chest and she was like good luck with that <laughs> it's just a very Pisces thing to really hold emotions or also just be very watery and cry a lot mm -hmm. Pisces can be our super tender super sweet people will do anything for you will sometimes at their own expense Love to party, love social gatherings, love laughter. Yeah, just like imagine Pisces are like water. They are very willing to like go with the tide and things that change and shift. Like my brother, he speaks Spanish fluently and English fluently. And we both grew up in the same household. But when we moved to Puerto Rico, he just picked up the language much faster than I did because it was of utmost importance for him to do so. So it's like things like that. It's like, I am going to just go with the flow. I, meanwhile, I was so upset to be living on a tropical island, right? Like he's like, <laughs> teach me the language. <laughs> That's a Pisces. <laughs> I think I'm definitely more of the sleeve, the emotions on the sleeve yeah. kind of person in that setup. I also think, isn't it like my moon or whatever is in Taurus? So people. Oh yeah. You're more like a Taurus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, Taurus. The moon yep. is more like who you are on the, on mm -hmm. the inside. Pisces is your son, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. That's what you show to the world. So, so you show the Pisces to the world, but Taurus is more like who you are. Taurus like sleep, they like food, they like sex. I don't know if we talk about sex on here, but I'm a sex educator, so <laughs> check, it's check, come check. Up. Okay, okay, got mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's, so that is Taurus. Taurus at its core is very much like indulgence, travel, lots of like material things. Those are the Taurus. <laughs> I didn't know this was your additional kind of skill. We should have added that to your bio. No, it's not a skill. I'm not even really that good at it. I just like astrology a lot and follow a lot of astrologers and will look up my horoscope as a guide every once in a while. So that's how oh, that's I know. Awesome. And then I'm just like, what is wrong with the people that I date? And that's how I figured out. <laughs> that's, why, that's what it is. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for reading me today. <laughs> <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs> well, so you know that the, the work of the WJC, the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, largely focuses on education and support for students around interpersonal violence. 
But we are also starting to uplift more conversations about body image. We were hoping to do with you in the time that we have today is discussing some of that. <clears throat> when we bring up body image, one of the first places that our students go is to think about representation and media. Historically, that's been TV shows, movies, music videos, and now it's a lot of like social media, like TikTok and Instagram. So we were wondering if you could talk a little bit about those intersections of like body image and pop culture and social media. And additionally, how has COVID shifted that conversation? Sure. I think, you know, our media is very much created inside of this notion that beauty looks a particular way and beauty is defined. You know, I've been reading a lot about where beauty comes from even. I think we've all kind of accepted that beauty is a real thing, that it can be defined, that there is consensus for it. And it's not, it's completely made up and it's also made up inside of white supremacy at the same time that race was being made up all alongside of that was beauty. So a lot of early colonizers were saying, black people in Africa are beautiful if they are light skin, if they have thin noses, if they have thin lips, if their body is thin and they have a big butt, right? These are the things that they're writing about, telling their friends, really having conversations on juxtaposed to Europeans, right? Juxtaposed to white people. And as that is the, the gaze, right? That's looking at and saying what is beautiful. So, and this is happening in the 1800s. But then what you see, though, is how that has replicated itself and really been reproduced to us in media today. So the folks who oftentimes are propelled to the top and seen as beautiful and on the covers of all magazines and in every single movie are folks who have a thin nose, thin lips. Their hair is a particular texture, either it's straight or maybe it's a soft curl, uh, but it's not a tight 4C, if you will, if we're using the categorization of hair. 4C type that's created about black hair. 4C type of hair, you're not seeing that. You're seeing a thin body, an able body person with maybe hips and large breasts, right? And it's also very, focused on a femme or a person that's gendered as a woman, they are the focus of what is beautiful or what is not. Oftentimes, cis men or folks who are marked as men are not being related to in those same ways. Uh, and they're not necessarily have to hold up to the same standard either. So for cisgender men or inside of patriarchy, there's a lot more freedom for folks who are masculine or gendered as men to not have to necessarily be positioned by those standards unless they are a racialized person. So black folks, non-black POC are absolutely positioned up against that. And you see that as well in the media how essentially a lot of black cis men that you see in media who are household names often look like they are chiseled out of clay, right? <laughs> they don't look like a lot of the white male actors or cis men actors that exist. This idea that there could be so much focus on what a 
femme presenting body looks like and also what makes a femme presenting body beautiful is deeply rooted in the long history of white supremacy and the creation of race but most importantly all of these conversations are being had by cisgender men, white cisgender men. So even today, our media outlets, outlets from social media, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram especially, and TikTok especially being spaces where you see people's face, that is what has them go viral or get a lot of followers and build their social capital. You're seeing the same trends in terms of looking a particular way, being able to propel whatever it is that you're doing. And of course, you see that in magazines and movies and other mediums. But I, I think it's important that so many of us, especially in the time of COVID, are using social media, that these algorithms are heightened. And when we're looking at algorithms, you're, we're seeing how blatantly racist they are. The people that that come up on my discovery feed on Instagram look a particular way because of the people that I follow, but it is still funneled in with folks who are thin, with folks who are able-bodied, with folks who are cisgender, with folks who have European uh, standards of beauty, right? Those are the, the, what gets on the discovery page, I think is determined by how many likes or how many views someone is getting. So if someone mm -hmm. is getting that many, and this is also perpetuated on children as well, right? The children that we think are cute or are um, doing things, dancing in ways that are interesting oftentimes fit these standards as well. So it, it, it goes hand in hand, the conversations that folks have about body image as it relates to how people look and then how we see that reproduced on uh, medium platforms uh, and, and most definitely social media. Yeah, thank you. That actually, um, I think you might have already answered the kind of next question that I was hoping to get into, which is linking body image to some more of these like systemic understandings of how we understand our bodies, right? Because I mm -hmm. think that in the, a lot of the the conversations and definitely the entry points for a lot of our students is not is not that. <laughs> Right. It's more yeah. of like eating disorders. Right. Which is absolutely yes. like understandable. Right. Or just like literally like I don't like the way my body, you know, looks like the literal kind of like the negative self image. I'm wondering if we could talk more about how those things are kind of linked to some of these larger systems of oppression. You know, and I'm also thinking about your keynote where you really talked about how white supremacy influences how we come to understand our bodies and like which bodies are valued or worthy. Right. To which we can make connections to, I think, some of like the daily experiences that people have. So. I'm wondering if you have anything else to add, you know, to maybe how this like this negative body image is in a lot of ways a manifestation of um, some of these larger systems, including like white supremacy. Sure. You know, it's it, it goes hand in hand with with white people and white institutions co-opting, organizing and abolition language and uh uh, principles, if you will, a lot of conversations around body image that are centered around eating disorders are very whitewashed, right? And that's not to say that Black people and non-Black POC do not navigate and have eating disorders. That is to focus in on how uh, watered down the conversation of body image has become so that it is accessible to white people only. 
right? But when you start talking about how colonization and gentrification is also a body image issue, the fact that whole people can be removed from a city, from a state, from a country, because a because white people want to live there, right? That is a body image issue. You are discarding certain bodies so that other bodies can exist in that space. And it's important that we expand our conversations around body image to include the detrimental impacts of white supremacy. Otherwise, we are having a very apolitical conversation. Because even if we're talking about body image beyond eating disorders, we get to also talk about the ways in which trans people are in a conversation around body image as well. And that if the world is not accepting of your gender identity as a trans person, how that has a great impact on how you see your body, right? If we only talk about eating disorders, we don't get to also talk about the various ways that folks are impacted and exist in their bodies and how the world treats us like there's something wrong with our bodies. And then we want to go and change it or do something differently to it, which it could be at a detriment, right? And it's, it's imperative that we look at the ways in which body images on an institutional mm -hmm. level, not just on it, the interpersonal or individual level. And I think it has to get much broader than that. Police brutality is a body image issue, right? The wealth inequity is a body image issue. Houselessness is a body image issue. The fact that rent hasn't been canceled in a pandemic, the fact that students have to still pay their full tuition in a pandemic, those are all body image issues and how the state is relating to particular bodies that say, and to all bodies that say, you have to keep producing, you have to keep doing labor because that is the only way we can actually affirm your worth, right? And that looks much more blatant in Black and non-Black POC communities, but it, it impacts everyone. The fact that prisons exist is a body image issue. Prisons are the continuation of chattel slavery. You have people who do not have any rights, who are making well under any minimum wage, are not making much money at all, to then produce labor for these multi-billion dollar companies. That is slavery, right? That is a body image issue. You have to look at how, what are the identities of the people who work in prisons, right? And we have to get real about how certain bodies in this country, in particular Black and non-Black POC, are regarded as worthless and regarded as not human and therefore are treated as such. And that is a body image issue. So given that there is like, I won't say, well, there are definitely some misperceptions about what we mean when we talk about body issues, but definitely different kind of lenses and entry points. I'm wondering what are some common body image myths that you think are necessary for us to debunk? What I would say that you can tell what someone's gender mm -hmm. is by looking at them that is a necessary body image issue to debunk. And uh, that gender is in your brain is the debunking of the myth. <laughs> you can't tell by looking at someone what their gender is. It's important that folks be inquisitive about the person, but not waiting to not treating them based on the gender that they think they are, which is oftentimes what is happening. 
And also to divorce ourselves from the gender binary, I guess that is the continuation of that debunking of myth. But also that fatness is connected to health. There is this belief that if you are fat, then you are unhealthy. And that is so far from the truth. And it is also deadly, right? So many fat people on, on a scale of fat, right? Super fat, small fats. And these are distinctions created by fat activists, or for fat activism rather, where even if you go to a doctor and you are seeking support, me personally, I'll tell you, I've gone to the doctor and I have had like a whooshing in my ear, right? And the doctor did not weigh me that, but they looked at me and said, you know, the whooshing in your ear is caused by weight gain. So you're going to need to lose weight and then the whooshing in your ear will go away. And I said, okay, this particular whooshing in my ear happens to thin people as well. So what do you tell thin people when they're sitting in your presence with this whooshing in their ear? And they looked at me and they said, you know what, we actually figure out what the issue is then. And I said, we'll do the same thing with me, right? And this is something that happens all the time to fat folks is that their illness is, is literally put on what their body looks like. And that is lazy medicine, right? There's no correlation between fatness and health. And there's enough evidence, right, to prove that is the case, right? You can use football players. You can use folks, how long they've lived in fat bodies. The fact that fat people have existed since the beginning of time, right? It's important that these institutions really divorce themselves from that and educational institutions do that as well. So if you look at, I know, I don't know if Colorado State is in the building yet, but when you return or if you've ever been there, many of the seats in class and auditoriums are not built for fat people right? It is built for a thin person. The A lot of buildings I'm asserting at CSU are not wheelchair accessible, right? They have stairs or there's an assumption that everyone can walk up the stairs, right? There isn't much accessible ways of being in terms of if you are blind and you want to attend CSU, or if you are deaf or hard of hearing and you want to attend CSU. Only in the pandemic, when people were uh, able-bodied people were unable to access a lot of the same spaces that disabled people are able to access, was it that the world said, oh, let's make it accessible when in reality it's accessible for everyone if folks can be on zoom right that allows for everyone to be comfortable in their own space and there's so many folks who live with disabilities who have been asking universities to put their classrooms and put their different events on zoom so folks are able to access it so many folks who live with disabilities have asked for interpreters to be at schools and they have been denied this sort of access so we have to be looking at how institutions uplift very harmful myths around bodies and in particular how we relate to fat bodies but also how we relate to disabled bodies right what are the conversations and how are we creating events that don't center disabled folks because our assumption is that everyone is able-bodied i guess like a another myth and i'll, I'll leave this 
this as a final myth, but this is not an exhaustive list of myths around body image. Another would be is that there's such a thing as healthy foods and unhealthy foods. That is a conversation rooted in capitalism because oftentimes foods that are considered healthy are way more expensive than foods that are unhealthy, right? And, And that's a function of, oh, this popcorn says that it's low calorie and it's made by whatever brand and it has pink Himalayan salt in it and it costs $15, that has to be better than the McDonald's french fries that I really want for $2, right? And that I can really afford. That is a function of commodifying food to say this food is better for you because it costs more and this food is bad for you because it costs less. There's nutritional value exists in all foods, right? And I let folks just be with that communication, right? But nutritional value exists in all foods. If someone is hungry, if they need actual nutrition in their body, they're going to eat whatever is accessible to them, right? This idea that certain foods are better than others is a body image issue, but it's also a class issue. And body image and class and race deeply intersect. And it's important that we do not separate those conversations. So yeah, divorcing ourselves from these myths really creates a world where we honor each other's bodies, but also that we fight for everyone's body to be seen and protected and cared for in a space oftentimes where certain folks' bodies, there is agreement that they will just be discarded. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, we actually, we got to talk to uh, Sonali Rashatwar uh, last semester and she- Awesome! on that last myth that you just talked about to right debunking the health food myth and then you know the not just the nutritional piece but the nourishing piece and how a lot of nourishing yes. foods for a lot of people is often really cultural and how the stigmatization is that a word that is that goes along with some of those food is heavily rooted in the classism and the racism and all of the things so yeah thank you for sharing a few of those myths Yes, and I'm glad you cited Sonali because that's also my teacher and where I've learned all of this from. So Sonali is phenomenal and I love them so much. Yeah, so, okay, so you know that, you know, we talk about interpersonal violence a lot. So what are some connections that you can make to the public discourse on body image and interpersonal violence? Oh, I mean, this idea that certain bodies are going to be a punching bag, right? This agreement that there are bodies that deserve or are in in what what it what it's how it is written is that there are certain bodies that are more susceptible to interpersonal violence black queer trans cisgender women indigenous people disabled folks poor people they are more susceptible to violence but really the messaging is that they are the deserving ones of violence. They are to be the punching bag. So in the intersection of body image and interpersonal violence is really abolishing this idea that we are to accept the violence that happens to our communities if you share identity, if you share identities with the folks that I just named. Right. The acceptance of that, because even in as a black person, even within black spaces, black communities, there is an acceptance that we are supposed to be punching bags. 
right? That we need to build grit and resilience in order to survive white spaces. And that is so harmful, right? That is a body image issue. If we are treating people with that, we need to build resilience in order to be in these spaces rather than these spaces need to actually shift. These spaces need to actually change, right? Cisgender women do not need to walk down the street with mace and their keys in their hand formed in a way as a weapon because they're nervous of what will happen to them. The world needs to change, right? We're gonna do these things so we can protect ourselves minus the grit. We're gonna do the things that we need to do to walk down the street to be safe, but it is the onus is not on us. Right, the belief that the labor is on the harms to protect themselves is just so detrimental. And I find that that is a direct correlation between the violence that we receive. What are folks' perceptions of folks who are harmed, right? What are folks' perceptions of black trans people, black trans femmes in particular? What are their perceptions? Because oftentimes the perception that exists will then lead to violence that folks experience. And what are some words that you might say to some survivors who have experienced IPV and may be struggling with their own self-image? Well, I would say you didn't do anything wrong. You are valid in your experiences and I hope that you have people around you who believe you. 100% and do not question what happened to you. You do not need to change how you look to be safer, right? Change how you look because you want to, but don't you don't necessarily need to do that to be safer, right? Because changing how you look to be safer is no guarantee that safety will come with that. So just be mindful of what is your objectives and wanting to shift how you look perhaps. I guess I would also say like how you look, it isn't your fault how you look that someone harmed you. It's their fault for having those perceptions. It is not your fault for any sort of violence that you experience ever. It is the fault of that person that enacted that violence or those people or that institution. Mm, yes, thank you for sharing that. I know that we'll have some people listening to this episode that will really need to hear those words. So thank you for that. Um, that validating those validating words i'm happy for it so here's kind of a fun question so we are currently in the works of creating several playlists for survivors to listen to when they want to evoke a certain emotion so what are some songs artists or albums that you have on repeat oh um i love any jasmine sullivan her new album is also good, but it's a little sex worker negative. So I don't know that I would listen to those songs. <laughs> listen to her older albums, maybe not the newest one. I will co-sign the older albums. Yes, older albums. Luther Vandross, uh, Whitney Houston. Yes. I love Thundercat. I love, oh God, what is her name? Why am I forgetting her name right now? I also love like Ethiopian music, like uh, Teddy Afro. I love salsa, merengue, bachata. Yeah, house music is like, I think house music could literally get anybody out of a funk. 
<laughs> I think house music is so ancestral to black people, which all music is. If you if you didn't know now, you know that all music, especially in this country, is literally the foundation from enslaved indigenous Africans creating music and those who came after them as well. But house music is, is also an example of that. And it's so, it's just so delicious. Like it just lifts my spirits every time. Stevie Wonder... Uh, yeah, those are the, I like old school stuff. I also listen to a lot of gospel, especially when I'm feeling down and just turn it up super loud and have my own praise and worship session. I don't even believe that I'm Christian. I don't know that I believe in God. It's not even on that level. It just feels like all my ancestors are surrounding me when I listen to gospel. It's a particular spiritual practice that I have. So yeah, that's, those are some, I know those are not songs per se, but I would say any song that of the people that I named or of the genre that I listed, you'll be good to go. <laughs> I would definitely agree as someone who's mid thirties also, it's very validating <laughs> to hear. Yeah. That's where you go for music. Luther Vandross was, fun fact, was my first concert. So thank you for- what? I'm so jealous you went to a freaking Luther Vandross concert. I mean, I was technically dragged, but, you know, I enjoyed it. I I was definitely the youngest person. It's one of my favorite memories, to be honest. I saw my third grade teacher sitting like a few rows in front of me, and I was devastated, like, not devastated. I was like shocked that, like, I was like, no, that's not, you know, I know her from the classroom, not like when she's like, you know, getting it on in the, the, at her favorite concert. Wow. So, yeah, that's one of my that favorite a, memories. What a great memory. <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, thank you for sharing some of your favorite artists and music with us. We'll definitely add some of that to the playlist that we're, we make. But yeah, those are all of the questions that we have for today. Thank you so much for cool. joining me. Yeah, thank and being you. a part of the WJC's great. We Believe You podcast. Of, of course. Anytime. Thank you for this space. I love the name. We Believe You podcast. Let's we go. We Believe You. Yes. That's all for this episode of the We Believe You Advocacy Resources and Healing Around Interpersonal Violence. Please remember that the Women and Gender Advocacy Center is here to provide support for all CSU students 24-7, 365 days a year. To reach an advocate, you can call 970-492-4242. If you have any feedback, thoughts, comments, or questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's w-g-a-c-c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu. For more information about advocacy and the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, go to www.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Big thanks to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership with KCSU here at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. And thanks so much for listening.